Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Brianna McAteer. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you. Thanks so much for having me on. It's always great. We have people all over the world. So uh, this time we're actually in the same country, which is always a nice uh, change. So, uh, But yeah, we're sort of reaching across the world. So to give everyone a bit of a background, so Brianna McAteer, founder and director of Brianna McAteer Coaching, coaches women to stop binge and emotional eating. She combines her train, uh, training as certified nutrition and lifestyle coach and personal trainer with her own experiences to help women heal their relationship with food and experience freedom and empowerment in all areas of their lives. After years of struggling with her self-esteem, especially in regards to food and her weight, Brianna wants, wanted to become a woman in control of her eating habits and her relationship with food. Tired of wasting energy thinking about food, she wanted to devote her energy things that really mattered, like fostering a positive body image and feeling physically and feeling healthy physically and mentally. Through her work, Brianna has found emotional freedom from the constant battle with food and weight, and she learned the intricate, way, intricate ways of uh, our relationships with ourselves is embodied in our relationship with food. The emotional weight is uh, of people-pleasing, self-judgment, and low self-worth as us reaching for food. Brianna's coaching addresses the root cause through the practice of mindful awareness and emotional management. As a result, her clients experience more peace of mind, freedom, and greater sense of self-expectance. And we should also say, um, Brianna is now also a TEDx speaker. So welcome to the show, Brianna. It's lovely to have you on today. Thank you for coming along. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, TEDx, wow. I'm delighted. <laughs> yeah, TEDx is loads of a compliments. Accomplishments are being achieved all over this show, so it's always great to have it. So welcome. So I'm going to start with an easy one. So what does fire in the belly mean to Brianna, first of all? Fire in the belly to me is like the thing that like gets you up. Like the thing that you feel compelled to do. The thing that like um, I was doing a little self-coaching this morning on myself about um selling with clients and selling, um, signing more clients. And I got myself around to the idea that me wanting more clients is actually in service to the women because when they sign up with me, they get the results. And I got myself so fired up as to why this is a brilliant idea that I need to sign more clients that I just felt compelled. Like I just like had this urge, the urgency to go share that message with the women in my community. Um, and I think that's that's what the fire in the belly is when you're just like so lit up that you just, you're compelled to. That's an interesting one. Do you find more clients or do you attract more clients? What's the difference? Oh, I think attract, I think attract, did I say find? Um, I said create, did I not say create? Yeah, I didn't, but I'm just curious. And I had this conversation with someone the other day and it's like, it, to me, it's all about attraction, but everyone's different, right? 
Oh yeah, no, I think attraction for sure. Um, I mean, the way that I work obviously with women is to coach them to be the kind of woman who has the results that she wants. So in terms of our relationship with food, we usually like think I'm going to lose the weight and whenever I get there, then I'll figure out how to manage it, <laughs> which means we only put it back on. So I'm coaching her to become the woman first. And I think that is how I kind of approach clients as well. I become the woman or the coach that she wants first. And I embody that first. And then somebody's like, well, that's what I want. So I'm going to go work with that woman. I love the way you talked about your, your self-coaching there. I mean, that to me almost sounds like it's like it's. Sounds like your purpose and it's almost your duty to help them to be what they can be. And so it's it's a much greater purpose than you. Have I have I understood that correctly? Oh yeah, for sure. Like um there's no point in my business if it's not to serve women, <laughs> like if it's not to provide a service. Um and I was just feeling that tension this morning or the last couple of days going, okay, I, I've said to myself, I want so many more clients by this kind of time. And I was feeling that tension about, well, I don't want to come across as pushy and salesy, which is like what women come across with more than I think men, um, because, you know, socially we're conditioned to not want more, like we're supposed to just be happy with what we have and have enough. So I was just feeling that tension of like, how do I quote unquote sell, sell my coaching without feeling uncomfortable about it? And, and so it was just the thought that another coach offered me that what if me wanting more in my business, and in this particular circumstance, it was more clients, is actually of service to her? Like, what if you believed that to be true? And I was like, I do. <laughs> I do believe that to be true because of I know the results that she can get as a result of coaching with me. I know what she can get for her. I know the outcomes, I know how good she can feel. So for me to want more clients and serve her, that is of service to her. And so that's kind of the, the roundabout way I got to myself, got myself to that. There's so much in this, right? Because you get so many different types of coaching that are, you get your inf inspirational, your motivational coaching, which is grand and it's great. And it lasts a certain period of time, like, but like a diet, right? Okay, we do it for a while and then do you know what? We fast forward a bit and then suddenly we're not doing it anymore. We haven't transformed, we've just been motivated and inspired. That's a big difference, right? You know, because otherwise diets do come and go if you don't if you don't get to the bottom of it. Does that make sense for you? Is that something you understand or something that you, you take on as part of your work? Yeah, absolutely. Because what I say to her, and of course, every single woman comes to me and like, I'm not sure this is going to work for me because of all the failed attempts. I failed so many times in the past because, and so I don't know if it's possible for me. And I'm like, you haven't done this before because what I'm doing with you is teaching you the skills of how to create the result that you want. And so we work together for an extended period of time and during that time, you are developing the skill of creating results for yourself. And so you can't unlearn a skill. Really, <laughs> Once you have it, then you have it and you can continue. Of course, you, there's always layers and, you know, increased proficiency at those things. But you haven't done that. Like whenever we're dieting and following a meal plan or whatever, we're just doing what somebody else tells me for a while. 
not really knowing why I'm doing it or how I'm going to sustain this. Um, so that's what I'm doing is teaching her this skill of doing that. So how did that come about for you then? I mean, you know, to get to this stage in your life, and we talked about that in your bio there, you're saying, obviously, you've had a journey with food, you've had a journey with, you know, emotional things in your life. I mean, can you give us a bit of a background how it all came about for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I spent years kind of like struggling with my relationship with food and my body, um, largely like the crux of it was in my 20s. It was probably, you know, um, all up into the teens as well. But, and it wasn't that I ever had lots of weight to lose. I was only ever like, say, 10 pounds up and down. But I'm small, so 10 pounds makes quite a bit of difference on me. But it was like, I just did my whole TED Talk on this, on how healing up my relationship with food required that I healed my relationship with myself. And that my relationship with myself was being displayed in how I related to food. So on one hand, I was like tightly trying to tightly restrict food and stay on this tight, strict diet. And that was an attempt to prove that I could be good enough, like to prove my worth. If I was able to, and this is the unconscious kind of belief that all women have around diets, if I can just stick to this and get to the weight, then I will prove that I'm good enough. Then I can feel accomplished. Then I can feel good, like just good enough. On the other side of that is like feeling totally, <laughs> utterly out of control around food and like compelled to eat. Like, I don't know how I can't not eat this. I used to work in the film industry in Vancouver and there's food there all just all day, all the day, all day. And I would graze all day until I just felt like sick at the end of the day. And there'd be other women not eating all day. And I'm like, how are they? Like, how do they not eat all day? And I'm sitting here eating all day, even though I'm beyond full. The next thing they bring out, I'm still going to eat it. And that is really about the fact that we have created the habit of using food to solve for emotions, right? Um, and it's become so habitual that we don't even realize that that is the pattern that's playing out. It's just, I just have cravings right now, or I just love my food, or I just love cookies or whatever. That's how it feels now when we started this habit when we were probably eight. So that was kind of my relationship with food and my whole ethos is that in order to heal this relationship with food, we must heal our relationship with ourselves. So for me, and I think this is literally a sentence from my TED talk, for me, I no longer needed to use food to prove my worth or numb my emotions. So when that happens, then food just becomes food again. But in order for that to happen, you need to develop self-worth that isn't tied to food or your diet or the way that you eat and also learn how to process and manage your emotions. So that was the journey that I went on. Um, the Like there was a, a few kind of triggers for me to realize that this diet roller coaster is never going to get me the results that I want. And one of them was that I ate a sandwich and bread was bread was bad, carbs were bad at that time but I caved in and I ate the sandwich and I literally berated myself for the rest of the day that I felt 
horrendous. Like I felt so guilty. I felt so ashamed. I felt so just like bad. And it kind of like, for some reason on that particular day, I'm sure it wasn't the first time I did it, but on that particular day, I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong, but yet I feel as if like, I've just like stolen my sister's boyfriend or whatever. Like I feel so bad for eating a sandwich like that. Those two things shouldn't be going hand in hand. Um, so that was the kind of click going, if I'm willing to berate myself this much for eating a sandwich, the problem is not the sandwich. <laughs> like it's not, and like, you know, cutting carbs or whatever is not going to resolve the fact that I'm willing to treat myself so poorly. And so, you know, this is a general habit of many women. Um, and the other kind of realization for me was, and is the same for all of my clients, is that we feel like we need to lose weight for to feel confident and feel better. But my experience was that on Monday, I would look on a, you know, a day, Monday, let's say I would look in the mirror and be like, absolutely disgusted. I'm the fattest thing. I can't believe however I like, how could I possibly live in this disgustingly fat body, right? That was my experience on Monday. And on Wednesday, I'd look in the mirror going, eh, maybe not so bad. <laughs> and so and I was like, well, my weight actually hasn't shifted. So how is it that I feel different? And so it was those kind of like little realizations for me that meant that kind of triggered me to go, okay, like there is a different way of doing this. And I'm, I'm going to find that out. I should say, if you're still willing to listen, <laughs> there was a third kind of like realization was that I got to as thin as I could get. Like I got to the stage where I'm like, this is going to be the stage where the thinness, where everything's going to be better. And I'm going to feel confident. I'm going to feel great. And I'm going to feel amazing. And I got to that weight and I did not feel those things. I did not feel any better. I did not like, in fact, it was a very difficult time in my life. And I'm like, if these are not the answers, like if this is not what's going to make me feel better, then I'm, I'm going to try something different because I can't keep doing this. This is way too hard and way too painful. I'm going to figure out another way. Now at this time, I didn't know what that other way was. <laughs> so it took me on a, a bit of a journey to figure out what that was. And so that's why I now know my client so well, because I was her. Um, and so I can help her through all of the challenges that she has um, silently with herself. And most people wouldn't know that she's challenging with those thoughts and feelings. You is it was it about it about the food or is it about the weight or is it about the addiction? I mean, what? Do, well, first of all, do you call it an addiction? Do you call it obsession? Do you call it symptomatic behavior? What would you call it? Yeah, it's, it's not about the food or the weight. <laughs> it's not about either of those. And no, I wouldn't call it an addiction. It really literally is just the habit of using food to solve for emotions. And that habit is so intense and so strong that it makes you feel as if you're out of control just because you, you're not conscious of what the sequence of events are. Once you become conscious of those sequence of events, it becomes so much easier to say, no, thank you, I don't want that. Like, or, like. So it's not about food 
or the weight really, um, which I, is challenging to hear, especially for women who are like, no, 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 this is my problem. I need to stop eating so much and I need to lose weight. But my question is always, why do you think you keep turning to food? Why is it that you can't stop eating? Or what do you think you're going to feel when you, when you do lose weight? And what's stopping you from feeling that now? So it's really about the conversation she is having inside of her head about herself and her beliefs about herself and her beliefs about what's possible for her and her like the the inflation of I don't know if that's the right word but of how we eat and what we weigh as indicated of, of our worth which it's not but it certainly feels like it is in the moment does that make sense yes I mean that I mean I think that weight equals worth I mean that's breaking that formula and saying they're they're, they're not connected they're they're they, they sort of exist independently. They should do, I'd imagine. You know, <laughs> if they're connected one to the other, it's like it's like an impossible it's, it's like an impossible uh, puzzle. It it it's literally an impossible puzzle, and women are literally putting themselves in this unwinnable situation because I must lose weight to feel worthy and to feel good enough but I also don't feel like I have any control over how much I weigh. And so if I have no control over how much I weigh, or I don't feel as if I do, and how I feel and my worth is dependent on me losing weight, then I have no control over my sense of self-worth or how I feel, which is a horrendous place to put us in. And that's why we become so fixated on food and our weight because it feels like this is the thing that I need to get right for me to feel worthy and good enough. And so, but this, and this feels like something that could be within my control. Like if I could just try harder, if I could just be better, if I could just eat less, that feels like something that is kind of within my control. Whereas my sense of self-worth and my sense of my uh, control over my feelings right now, totally outside of my control right now. I find that fascinating. I mean, because what I'm hearing there is, you know, that food or weight is actually, it's a symptom, but it's not the cause. And knowing that it's saying, yeah, okay, we might see that and you might take the headache or you might take the piece of food or you might take whatever, treat the symptom. But it's like, until you get back to the cause of all this, then it's always going to be surface level. You're, never, you're not getting anywhere really in the long term. Absolutely. It is absolutely a symptom of our relationship with ourselves. And the story that we tell ourselves about our worth and what we believe about us as a person. And women are just incredibly good at being astonishingly, astonishingly hard on themselves. Um, and generally the kind of the milieu in which she's living in her head is I'm not doing enough. Whatever I did wasn't good enough. I need to be better, do better, do more. Like it's just, and just generally that's what she's living in, which creates a sense of not good enough, right? And so socially then we have been conditioned to be like good enough is a certain weight and way of eating. And that's like 
diet culture gives literally gives us this gives us that message that when you're able to eat in this way and when you're able to lose this weight not only will you look and feel better but like your life will be better is literally the message that we're getting and so it it's infiltrated in there and we're not even really that conscious of it tell us what 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 is your TED, tedx talk on I mean, what was the point of it what was your intention that was it <laughs> <laughs> that in order to heal our relationship with food, that we must heal first heal our relationship with ourselves. And in order to heal our relationship with ourselves and food, we got to stop focusing on what we're eating and really start understanding why we're eating. Like, why is it that you feel out of control around food? Why is it that you can't stop eating the biscuits at night? Why is it that you think you're a more worthy person if you don't eat sugar? Like, why do you believe those things? Why is that true for you? And when you understand why, which like by and large, we just never look at, we just think food is the problem, weight is the problem. And I need to sort that with another diet or another meal plan or Weight Watchers or Slimming World or whatever it is. I need that solved. And we never really understand, yeah, but why? <laughs> why though? And in your experience, then the whys are they traditionally linked to trauma? Um, big T and the little T, you know, different types of trauma, obviously. Or do you think it's out of alignment with self? Well, what in your experience is that normally the why? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't um generally speak specifically about trauma just because whenever people hear the word trauma if they're not familiar with it they think like big t right big trauma but for sure it's just like the little traumas that we experienced all through our life and like i said that we have created the habit of using food to solve for emotions that when we're in our 30s and 40s and 50s just feels like a quote unquote bad habit because it was created when I was six, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? When I didn't know how to deal with the emotions that whatever were being created for me by an emotionally neglectful parent or just somebody who didn't validate my emotions as a child. Like those are all traumas as well that pretty much everybody, <laughs> especially lots of it in Northern Ireland, where we have parents who right came through the trauma of um, the troubles we're not emotionally equipped then to deal with other people's emotions, their children's emotions. So generally in Northern Ireland, for sure, we've all have that little T, those kind of emotionally neglectful or emotionally unavailable um, parents who just didn't know how to cater to or teach us how to process emotions effectively. And so that's what it is, really. We experience these things, they became a habit at a very young age. And so now they are so familiar to us that we don't even recognize the emotion when we have a craving to eat. We're just like, oh, I'd like some cookies now, or oh, let's go see what's in the cupboard or whatever. But to resolve it, we don't need to go back to my mom didn't hug me enough, right? We don't need to do that because the experience is still the same one. And the experience is the story that we've created about ourselves. Again, it's about 
not good enough. Failure is, you know, I'm a failure is just inherent in this whole um, scenario. Um, and the feelings of not being able to cope, the feelings of anxiety, the feelings of sadness, like deep sadness that we just aren't really that attuned to anymore. And so the experience now is exactly the same almost as it was when it was first created. So we don't need to go back and say, look, my mom didn't hug me enough. We just need to really get attuned to what is the experience that I'm having right now that I'm using food to solve for. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and it's, I'm curious, well, first of all, I mean, how, how long can the body hold on to these beliefs if left of its own devices? Forever. <laughs> like, like, unless we go actively looking and prodding at them, they're just there and they're just running in the background. They're just going, they're just kind of mill, they're just milling around in there. And those are the ones that are driving our behavior. The ones that we like don't even know we're thinking. So really for like, in terms of me as the coach, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> Like at the most basic level, I'm just asking you questions, which you're like you were doing to me today, to get her to tap into what those thoughts are. Like, but why? Why is that important? Why do you care? Like, why? Why? What does that mean to you? What does that mean if you don't do that? And for her to be able to answer that is always a bit of a challenge. It's always effort requiring to, for her to go, okay, let's go find that under the carpet behind the baseboards and get that thought that's that's under there but that's the one that's driving our behavior that's the one that makes that habitual pattern continue and we don't even know that it's there so which is why kind of all of these surface level um, attempts at changing our behavior don't work because like, and sometimes like, I'm, I'm not the hugest of fans of affirmations because um, we're not really getting tied into the emotional connection that those thoughts are, should be creating. So the emotional connection is the thought that I'm not even aware of. That's telling me that I'm a failure, that I'm telling me that I'm not doing it good enough. And that makes me feel horrible. But that horrible feeling has just become so familiar to me that I barely recognize that I'm experiencing it. And when I barely recognize that I have that thought and that I'm feeling this low, it doesn't make sense to me that the food that I'm eating is to solve for that. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And, and, and how, well, how do you go about then identifying or, or you know, sort of breaking your own truth as such and, and identifying those emotional thoughts? Yeah. Um, journaling has always been like, I didn't have a coach when I was going through this. I had books and I had a journal. <laughs> was, it took me much longer than it takes me to help my clients. Um, and I think that is it. Your brain loves to answer questions. Like that's its job. It will do the, it will answer questions that you pose to it. We're so used to asking it kind of shitty questions like, what's wrong with me? What's why am I so weak? Why can't I ever get this right? Da, 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 da. And guess what? Your brain's going to be like, well, you want answers to that? I've got plenty of them. 
here's all the reasons why you're shit and weak and can't do that, right? But if we ask good questions, it will help to uncover, because again, that's all that I'm doing is asking the necessary questions to get you to go back into the tickle trunk of your mind and pull out that thought. And so that's when journaling can do the same thing. Be like, okay, here's what I did last night. I went and had a piece of cake and two pancakes and a donut and whatever, right? Okay. Instead of going right into self-recriminations and what's wrong with me and I can't believe it is this and I'm just going to have to try harder tomorrow, go, all right, let's just take a step back. Like if this was not good or not bad, it was just something that happened. Could I look at it forensically almost and go, what was going on for me? What was happening? What was I thinking? Did anything happen to me today? How was I feeling? Like just kind of start going, what can I understand about myself from this situation? And if we're not used to asking ourselves those kind of questions, nothing may come up to begin with. <laughs> like your brain might have to go, all right, give me a minute. I have to go think about this for a while. And our kind of habitual response would be to just go, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And that is our, again, going into confusion, which is just so much easier than the effort of having to find the answer because the answer exists and your brain is totally capable of giving it to you. You just have to put the effort in for your brain to go find it and, re and reveal it to you. And writing it down is literally the only way that I know to do that on your own because we can't like there's just so much going on in our brain that it's just too jumbly until we get it down on a piece of paper and see it objectively and then start asking appropriate questions to the sentences that come out of our head. Be like, well, I need to lose weight. Well, why do you need to lose weight? Because that's when I'm going to feel more confident. Why are you going to feel more confident when you lose weight? Well, because that's what the world told me to, or because I just feel better in my clothes. Okay, why don't you just buy bigger clothes that feel good? Well, because then I'm resigned to the fact that I'm this weight. <laughs> I could never like, okay, and so what's wrong with being this weight? And it's just like a series of uncovering the layers of beliefs that we have. And that eventually we get to the crux of like, oh, and you get that moment going, oh, I see now, I understand. And that's when you can start going, well, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> because generally our thoughts don't make any sense at the bottom of it. They made sense once, but don't make any sense for us today anymore. And so that's how you do it. So it's almost like exploding your own beliefs, right? Because you're saying, well, it's, we say it's my truth is my, is the truth as far as I'm concerned. And your truth is your truth as far as you're concerned. And then there's the other global truth, which I'm in alignment with, but you're probably not or whatever, right? So we have to, we'll have to actually throw the grenade in there, do something, as you say, with the questioning or with the self-reflecting through the journaling or whatever to ask that, right? So that, that's part of the process, isn't it? And I, I imagine that's going to be easier for people if they've got a coach like yourself. I mean, they can do it themselves through journaling, through that work, but actually it's going to be easier, more dynamic with somebody to reflect against or somebody to hold up the mirror for them, right? Oh, so much easier. <laughs> much easier for to be with somebody who has the perspective and knows like 
I almost know the answer before I ask the question, kind of like a, a lawyer. I know the answer before I ask the question because I've already done the uncovering myself and with my clients. And by and large, it's this very similar thought pattern for all of the women. And so when you know, when you have somebody who has that perspective to like laser point in because and even when I'm with somebody, I'll ask them the question and they'll go over on this on this side and go, well, yeah, but da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, no, but that's not why I asked you this. And they're like, yeah, but something over here. I'm like, nope, this one. You answer this question and you will get the answer that you're looking for. And so even just to have somebody hold your brain <laughs> just to account for a couple minutes because it is a, it's a manic place in there sometimes. And have you being diligent about finding that answer? Because again, like I said, our brain doesn't want to put in the effort. It's like, I don't want to, I couldn't be bothered. And so when you have somebody hold that space for you and say this question, answer this one, and, and then continue to not accept the first answer or even the second one going, okay, yeah, but why? And how come? And, but what? And so why? And who cares? And whatever till that you get to the the base level to the one you're like that's the one that's making you feel like a failure that's the one that's driving your behavior around food like that's the one that makes you eat all the cake whenever you said you were going to have one slice like that's the one what do you want to do with that one and so it's way easier with a coach because like I said I did it this was 10 years ago when I kind of started for myself. I didn't know, I didn't, maybe there wasn't even coaches around this topic at the time. And I, there was certainly nobody shouting in my face going, I can help you with this. I know what you're going through. So I was literally just lailing around, reading some books, watching Oprah <laughs> and uh, journaling on like, okay, so like, why do I feel like shit for eating a sandwich? Like, why would you do that to yourself? And just kind of start asking those questions. So it took me quite a long time to figure out um, all the answers for myself. And so it just like, it doesn't even half the time, it like a quarter of the time with a coach. Well, what was your background before this, before you sort of had this epiphany or this realization in the self journey, journey of self-discovery? Yeah, like varied. <laughs> it was varied. I never really had um, like a career as to say. I never had a direction really. In fact, that was part of um, part of the challenging relationship that I had with myself that had me turning to food was that like I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea what I was going to do. So I was I was moving around quite a bit um from like the age of 12 until I was about 30 and each time it was like starting over so I mean I did some marketing I did some I worked in film I did a degree in Dublin I partied over here I did a lot of partying over there and I did a lot of partying over there um but I suppose the thing that was always consistent for me just in my own personal life was this constant pursuit of self-awareness that I was just kind of always in enough pain myself that I was always looking for an answer that 
that it was always just part of my process for me to constantly be looking for self-awareness and self-improvement and understanding how, why do I feel this way? And how do I, how do I, how do I stop feeling this way? Um, and so whenever I started, um, whenever I had the realization that, okay, it's not about food. This is about how willing I am to treat myself like a piece of crap. I was already kind of familiar with like, like Deepak Chopra and um, Dr. Wayne Dyer were already like in my reading list. Um, when I was like five, I was an Irish dancer and my mom used to have Deepak Chopra, are you familiar with Deepak Chopra? Yes. Have his books on tape. <laughs> five years old, my mom had me listening to Deepak Chopra's like visualizing your success and your results. And I was like, I'm five. I could barely understand his Indian accent. <laughs> so I'm not sure how useful it was at the time, but it was, you know, part of my lived experience anyway. So I was very familiar with the concepts of personal development. Um, but again, implementing from books is is a challenge and it again it took me a long time to figure out how to implement from books um until I got a coach myself and then it just all everything that I've learned just went whoosh it all makes a hundred percent sense to me right now and so it all oh that all makes sense and so now it's like women come to me and I can see her like, oh, like so much clearer than she can see herself, like exceptionally, just because I have lived that I've worked through it, I've gone through it, and I understand it so well. So I didn't really have much of like a career or to, to draw upon. It was just my own experience, really. And and for you now, do you find you are where you're supposed to be? Uh, do you think you, you've, you've actually locked into your, your flight path as such? 100 percent 100 um and i put up a post a while back going i am so glad that i had this struggle i am so glad that it was such hard work for me to get out of it like i'm so glad that i had to do like the the grassroots of it like i had to like figure it out step by step by step <laughs> by painful step on my own so that I now understand it so well, so that I can now help you do it so much easier. Um, and like, not only that it um, draws upon my own personal experience where I am now, like when I was eight years old, I told my mom I was going to be the CEO of my own company. <laughs> um, and I have always been in seeking mode of that but um the again the relationship I had with myself prevented me from realizing that until now um and so but it just now still feels like the fruition of everything that I've been seeking from I was eight years old and so it just right now it just feels like such an amazing place to be that I have always, always wanted to have my own business, to be my own boss. I've always wanted it to feel very purposeful. Like I, 
I did so many quote unquote jobs and it just sucked the life out of me because I was like, this doesn't feel purposeful to me. That is incredibly important to me. And self-actualization, again, since I was eight years old, has been incredibly important to me. And for me to be able to deliver to her or deliver for her requires that I do an incredible amount of work on myself so that I can actualize myself, like do it first so I can go first and then I can bring her along with me. And so right now I'm just like, this feels like this is it. Like I feel arrived, (laughs) even though there's no arrival, but I feel like I've arrived with lots of work still to do. (laughs) Have you been this version of you before, do you think? Because I mean, people quite often, you know, they, they, they are who they are in a childhood, something then happens, they then go to people pleasing, they go to whatever people talk about the age of seven plus, you know, they go out and they, they then sort of start playing different roles. I'm just curious, I mean, do you think you have been this version of you before, or is this you sort of discovering your fullest self for the first time? Well, I, th- I think a little bit of both. I think it always existed. But for sure, this is the first time that I'm like realizing it for myself. But it existed as a, like I knew as a young child that this was, that I wasn't going to, I don't know, I don't know, wasn't going to do lots of things. (laughs) Like, and, and and like you said, I did go on and do lots of people pleasing and played all the roles. And I moved quite a lot, which just exacerbated the people pleasing tendency. And um, again, you know, experienced the, the little T of emotional unavailability of parents. Um, and so had lots of blockers in my way from from being able to realize this for myself. And so it does feel like, yes, I've known it all along, but it was, <laughs> at stages, it was very deeply hidden <laughs> and required a lot of undoing. And so I've always, and I suppose like um, for me, I've always been seeking it, but I've, I've also, in some ways, and this is maybe some way a benefit to me, I was never able to attach myself to anything else. I was never able to stay with. I was never able to stick with because this wasn't it either. And this wasn't it. And this wasn't it. And this wasn't it. And so I was never able to, you know, prog- progress and build a career and do the things, um, which, you know, caused me a lot of pain at times because I'm like I'm not doing it right I'm something wrong with me and this is not how it's supposed to go I'm not it's wrong um but now I'm kind of like well I'm glad no like glad I didn't stick to any of those things because they they weren't right (laughs) and this is now quote unquote right it's so huge isn't it to actually to get that get that sort of feeling or acknowledgement of being in the right place actually so the penny dropping and all that and i'm just curious i mean is is there certain habits or traits or uh symptoms that actually people could look out for when they are you know it's when they're discovering that food is 
big for them or there is sort of there is an emotional connection there to um you know sort of food or their weight and, and that's what they maybe want to do they want to achieve that but what they actually need to do is something else but let's let's deal with the wanting first you know what are there habits that people would recognize that might sort of you know from listening to this would, would trigger them yeah it's like she's aware of them <laughs> she's she's aware that that's what she does um and it's like it's it's the diet roller coaster it's the it's the and so many of the women kind of um come to me is like i'm almost i'm almost embarrassed to tell people i'm doing another diet because oh she's doing another one oh great so maybe this one will work kind of mentality of conversation that she's afraid of having and it's the like the feeling of compelledness to eat like sometimes people who don't have that experience can't really understand it but like just don't eat the thing but like you're like I can't not eat the thing <laughs> um and so that experience and it's you know generally in the evening once the kids are to bed or once your day is done and it's like the evening eating and that's evening grazing that is 100% emotional um because of the story you've been telling yourself all day one of the other kind of like little small things is that habit of going, hmm, I wonder what's in the cupboard right now. <laughs> I wonder if there's anything nice in the kitchen or, you know, I wonder if anybody brought anything into the staff room. Again, that's 100% emotional. <laughs> and that is like something just happened that you're like, I'm not dealing with that. Let's go see if there's something nice over there. Um, so it's just, like, it's just all of those things that she's so very aware of. It's like the, I said, I'm going to do X, Y, Z today, but by noon that had gone out the window. And why can't I just do what I say I'm going to do? Why is that? Like, why is this so hard for me? And it's so hard for you because we're focusing on the wrong thing. Because we think food and if I just need I just need to figure out the best diet and if I just figure out the best diet then I'll be able to stick to it and if I just try harder then I'll do better but that's not it and that's why it's so hard whenever you focus on what it actually is it it certainly requires effort but it's not so hard it's not like so painful like it certainly requires effort to learn how to manage your emotions instead of eat it certainly requires effort to get to know what's going on inside of your brain and change your habitual thoughts. That all requires effort for sure. But it's not like hard, the constantly letting yourself down of like, why can't I just do what I said I'm going to do? Like, why does my diet have to keep starting tomorrow? And, you know, so she's very familiar with the signs of it. Just not asking the right questions. Do you think? I mean, is all excessive eating linked to not calling it trauma as such? But uh, is 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 all excessive eating linked to some sort of background belief that we have? Do you think, or can you get people to just eat a lot? <laughs> considering this um, a little myself recently because I am certainly operating in my messaging from yes <laughs> yes it is um and like I'm so I'm I've been trying to consider maybe is there things that I'm just not considering which 
you know, if that is the case, then that's probably just not my client, right? Um, but I also don't want to be giving like mixed uh, messages. What I do know, I mean, like if somebody eats a lot and it's not a problem for them, then it's not a problem, right? If, if they're like, it's not a problem for me. But if you're talking about like it's causing adverse like results for them that they're not happy with and they don't feel able to stop it, then I'm going to say yes. <laughs> what I do know is that all of our actions come from a result of how we feel, right? And how we feel is a result of the thoughts and beliefs that we have. So that's, so we, we what we think we believe, what we believe we do. Uh, what we think we believe, what we believe we feel, and then what we feel we act out, right? And so all of our um, decisions about what we do and what we don't do is a result of how we feel or how we think it's going to make us feel. So if that is the truth, which I do believe it to be true, then habitual eating, yes, definitely coming from feelings. I am self-checking mentally what what my own habits are. <laughs> I think it's like, oh, there's some nice stuff in our cupboard. Yeah. I'll have those tonight when I'm on the couch and the kids have gone to bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the thing about it is that it's become so habitual and the emotional state is so familiar to us that it's not registering with us. Like, it's just like, oh, I want some cookies and that's just all it is. But I would then challenge you to say, no, I'm not going to eat the cookies or I'm not going to eat the thing and sit on the couch and see how uncomfortable that makes you feel. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can feel it already. Just thinking oh, about Lord, saying yeah. <laughs> exactly. So why do we feel so uncomfortable about not eating the cookies or whatever it is in the thing? Right. Why? Because your brain is like, no, 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 we need those. Because otherwise we feel this and we don't like, so the, the motivational triad of the part of the brain that makes this habit is to seek pleasure, avoid pain, conserve energy. The pleasure, food is pleasurable, avoid pain. It used to be like the pain of dying or the pain of being eaten by a lion, but we don't, we're not being eaten by any lions now. So it's just the pain of painful emotions is that was what the brain is trying to avoid now and to conserve energy because we need to, you know, conserve energy. Let's make it a habit so we don't even think about it. So now that it's a habit for you to go to the cupboard in the evening, your brain is like detecting the emotion that you don't even notice. And it was like, let's not deal with that. Let's go to the cupboard and go get the cookies. And so then we go get the cookies. We eat it. We feel better. We don't even have to deal with the emotion. It's still there. It's still mulling around there it's still affecting how we behave but we're not feeling the pain of it because we've already eaten now so why it's so uncomfortable when you say i'm not going to eat the things and you can feel the discomfort even thinking about saying i'm not going to eat the things is because your brain's like no 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 we need to avoid that pain so you need to eat the cookies if you don't eat the cookies we might die because it's interpreting the pain of dying we might die if you don't eat the cookies so you need to go eat the cookies. 
And look, it's not that big of a deal anyways. Who cares? It's not like, it's just some cookies. Like, and then it gets very convincing. <laughs> like, it starts getting like, like, what does it matter? Just be, you know, be nice to yourself. Just have some cookies, go on. And that's how it works. Because it's like, we might die if we don't eat the cookies. Does that make sense? It does, yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting when you, when you start to then look at the therapies or the, the, potential solutions or options for you because i know even myself i mean i i was i was a smoker previously tried the let's go cold turkey let's do all these things and it wasn't until i actually removed the sort of the desperation to stop smoking and replaced it with a what would a life be like where my not smoking actually made my life better contributed so I, I create a brighter future and it's like, keep smoking if you wish, but your brighter future gets farther away the more you choose to smoke until the point you go, well, I don't want to smoke. So I, I want that brighter, beautiful future opposed to this. So it wasn't through lack. It's like, you know, you need to stop eating cookies. Like I now want more cookies. <laughs> like the cookie monster now, you know, but yeah. <laughs> it's like, but as opposed to going the other way, it's like the cookies are there if you choose. But actually, how about we generate a whole brand new thing for you? So sorry, I'm I'm now answering the questions or trying trying to give give forward solutions. What are the options in therapy? So once we actually identify it and saying, okay, hands up, I have an issue with food, right? It's something in my life. You know, what are the what do you then start looking at? What are the options on the table? Yeah, and like what you just described is pretty much some something similar to what I do with my clients, is that we we want to create the relationship with her future self the brighter future we want like we are so busy <laughs> we're just so in our own busy little lives that we barely think about tomorrow let alone five years from now right so and if 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 we're only thinking about getting through the day the decisions we make are just to get us through the day right if i'm tired i just need to pick me up i just need the sugar i just need the thing just give me the thing if you know if it's been a hard day the wine is just going to get me to the evening and those are the kind of decisions we make not that big of a deal i'll just have the wine i'll feel better and start again tomorrow right because that's as far ahead as we're thinking but we really want to create a relationship with the you that's already created the results that you want like get to know her very well start to visualize and like yes it is a bit kind of visualizing and um kind of law of attraction-y and as I say to my clients but it's law of attraction brought right back down <laughs> right back down to earth because yes we want to visualize that and we want to get to know her very well and so if she's if she's not using wine every evening to get her through the night what does she do how does she get through the night like how does she resolve her problems how is she managing her life what what stories is she telling herself about her ability to cope? What predominant emotions does she generate for herself? And how does she feel? And how does she speak to herself when she quote unquote fails? Like get to know her very well so that you know what A, you're working towards and B, so that we can start going to her for answers rather than our habits, our habitual past. Right. Because the only way we pretty much make decisions now is just going, well, that's what I normally do. That's what I always do. That's how I normally live. Just that's our habit. Right. But instead going, well, what would she do? 
Like, what does she need? How would she make this decision? Like, if I was her today, what kind of story would I be telling myself about this? Because my whole kind of point about food and weight loss, and particularly weight loss, I guess, is you need to become the person first who can live the results that you want. Because if we try to get the results first and then figure out how to keep them, we generally don't keep them. We just go back to our habits and we put the weight back on or we go back to our habitual, you know, habitual patterns. So we need to be the person first so that the results just become inevitable. Like they just become what would inevitably happen, what would logically happen if you continue to make these kinds of decisions. So that is what we do. And so then we're making decisions for our future rather than our past. And then it is really dismantling the stories that don't serve us and getting to, um, you know, you know, become clear on them, because like I said, we're not clear on them, dismantling them so that they don't make any more sense to me anymore. Like that just doesn't like now that I see it that clearly, it's almost it, it makes it so much easier to let it go. You know, like that doesn't make any sense. I can see that now. I wouldn't hold on to that. But then intentionally really build the story that is going to serve her. Right. And the story is that I can feel confident and successful and accomplished at this weight. And I do that by believing this story about myself, right? By believing that, um, and like just for women, always like so often just negate all of the effort that they put in. Like, you know, that just happened. It wasn't that hard for me. And you know, you know, I should be able to do more and it was fine and whatever. But like really owning and allowing yourself to own the results that you're creating for yourself. Because only when you own the results that you're creating your, for yourself, do you feel confident then to create more. And if we continue to kind of like negate our efforts and negate the actions that we took that created results that we did want, whenever we go to create more new results, then we're like, well, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, I didn't know that just happened to me in the past. I don't know. So it's about creating those stories that really do serve us. And one of the stories is there's a million cookies in the world. Like you're allowed to eat cookies. <laughs> you can eat all the cookies if you want. Like you can eat them all. Do you want to? And the general answer is like, no, I don't want to eat the cookies. And so whenever you take, like you said, take that kind of um, the want of not eating cookies off, like you can have them. They're fine. You can have them. And you don't need to eat them right now. Like you can like. The world is full of cookies. There's no problem with saying no to a cookie right now <laughs> because you're allowed to eat the cookie. You can have a cookie whenever you want. It's okay. Like just to bring, what we're really doing is bringing safety to the brain. Like going, we're not going to die. It's okay. You're safe. You can make decisions that serve you because so often the story in her head is just one of constant attack. And it's not a safe place. It's generally not a safe place to live. And when your head's not a safe place to live, you need something else outside of you to make you feel better. Those who have habits around food, which is most people, I think, because it's just so easily accessible, food is what makes us feel better. So really, we're just developing the skill of making 
ourselves feel safe and giving ourselves the comfort that we need rather than looking for it outside of ourselves. Because when you look for it outside of yourself, it's just never enough, ever. Could I ask? I mean, it's interesting you brought that up. I mean, how, how common is this, do you think? I think very. <laughs> but I mean, like, like, food is just so accessible. It's such an easy answer. The brain knows that that's going to solve it, you know, momentarily. And so I'm like, and there is no shortage of food and, you know, so I think it's very, 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 very common, but you could equally um, put in smoking or drinking or scrolling social media or porn or, you know, any of those kind of dopamine producing activities, same thing. So it's just all the, the, the bad habits that we have all resulting in the same um, all serving the same purpose, which is to stop us having to feel painful emotions or because we just don't know what to do with them generally. Well, what's, what's your thoughts on, I mean, uh, you know, are, are people with these, you know, food and, and weight symptoms, let's call them, um, are, are they born or are they bred? You know, we're talking nature or nurture here. Do, do, do babies come with a, uh, a food addiction as such? Well, yeah. I mean, evolutionarily speaking, we are highly motivated by food. Like we needed to risk our lives to leave the cave to go find food so that we survived. So we are we are highly evolutionary and bio, biologically motivated. There's the subtle difference, though, between the need and the want, isn't it? I need food to survive. I want to get fat. One <laughs> you know, many but, fat cavemen. I think that's what I'm trying to maybe pick up on. Um, but we are also biologically wired to find as much food as possible, eat as much of it as possible, and store it as fat. Those humans that did that are our ancestors. So yes, food just wasn't as available, nor was it, nor was it um, the manufactured process concentrated food that we're eating now, which is kind of like food with no breaks. Because like, if we want to get into like the nutrient kind of conversation about this, it's we're wired for whole foods. We're wired to seek out whole foods for our survival, right? This is what's going to keep us alive. Five things, if I can remember them. Um, whole foods, connection, movement, sex, and accomplishments, right? Those are wired for our survivals. When we concentrate the food as we have, like, and we get like, whenever we seek out and get some berries that are or you know have some meat from the deer or whatever it is we get a, a nice dopamine release which means we're hyper aware of this behavior which means we're going to continue to do it and we're going to seek out this behavior again in like proportionate to our needs whenever we concentrate the foods and make it apple juice or concentrated sugar or deep fried or you know salty salty things Again, we are wired to really appreciate those tastes. So we like, like we're going to seek those out. And because they've been concentrated, the dopamine release that we get is much greater, which means the brain has now um, categorized 
those types of food is more important for our survival. Like these are now more necessary. Like we need to seek these out almost to the detriment of these ones because we're not getting so much dopamine up here anymore. This is where we're getting the dopamine. Same with scrolling, same with, you know, like the concentrated form of connection of social media, like that becomes more important. So our desire for that becomes increased. Um, and like the quote unquote pleasure that we get from that is it experienced in our brain is higher. So we seek those out to the detriment of the stuff that actually serves us because getting whole foods, making real connection, moving our body all takes so much more effort, which we don't want to do. We want to conserve energy, so much more effort and time. And so we stop seeking out those and go for the easier ones, which, you know, generate the same kind of or better experience in our brain, but don't actually contribute to our long-term survival. In fact, they're quite detrimental to the long-term survival, but they're easier and more accessible and create a bigger reaction in our brain. So it's like, we'll do that. Of course we will. If you don't consciously go, no, <laughs> that's not serving me. I'm going to go over here and make the effort that my brain doesn't really want me to make so that I can do things that are actually going to serve me well in the long term. It's always interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, I mean, I suppose with even the likes of this show, I mean, suppose I built up this fundamental thing that everyone has a fire in their belly, you know, and that's that's it. It's just for some people, it's a tiny little pilot light away off here. And for other people, it's a roaring inferno around them, right? It's just, it's very active to who they are. But to have that means you have, you know, a breath in your lungs and a beat in your heart, you know, and it's that I'm almost thinking, you know, is it like that everyone, um, you know, we have this fundamental need for love, we have this fundamental need for food, etc. Um, and we all potentially have an issue with eating and everything else, you know, but it, it's it's just down to what you do with it, down to your perceptions and your beliefs and, and yeah, how, how you apply yourself really. Yeah, for sure. Like the message that I want to get to the women who I work with is like, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> like for her, it feels like I'm broken and need to be fixed. And I'm like, no, no. Your brain is working exactly as it's wired to do. It is wired to seek out food, the pleasure in food. It is wired to avoid the pain of those emotions. And it is wired to make it a habit so that you don't even think about it. Like, if you do those things, even though they don't serve us, like all of the things that I was saying now, the concentrated foods and the social media, if they go to excess, of course, they don't serve us. But you're because the way that you're doing it is perfect in terms of how the brain works. We just then, of course, then there's the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex that we need to just engage more. And of course, you know, childhood often has a lot to um, contribute to this because if we are generally made to feel safe, in our existence as a child, if we are generally, you know, our feelings are validated, if we are taught to process emotions, if we are taught to create um, an internal dialogue that is one of compassion and understanding for ourselves, we don't 
as much need the external to provide us with comfort. We don't need that escape as much because we don't need to escape what's inside of us. <laughs> like it's a nice, comfortable, safe place to be generally. That's not the experience of the women that I work with. That wasn't my experience. It was a, it was a tumultuous, painful, challenging place to be inside my head. And I needed something else, somebody else to make it better. Um, and so it just becomes easier then to find those solutions outside of ourselves through scrolling or whatever, or food. That's really interesting. I know it's funny as you're speaking there, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I was wondering about the origin of the term, um, you know, there's the term, you know, childhood obesity. And because that's, that's something probably I'd say has is, is been present in, in my lifetime anyway, I suppose. Maybe it's just the way it went. I don't know when it originated or whatever. And, and I'm wondering, that, that because of the surroundings? Is that something else we're now seeing coming up through teenagers, adulthood, et cetera, where actually the, the, the food is the trauma, the food, you know, it's, it's all one activity. I don't know, have you any thoughts on that? That about the, sort of the whole childhood and it's seen as a pandemic in itself? Yeah. Yeah. And like, that is one where I don't have a definitive viewpoint on that one because it is, I think it is very complex. Because there, you know, there's a lot of research coming out about genes in terms of people, but also just genes uh, and the epigenetics, I guess, being um, uh, confronted with a society where food is hyperly manufactured, which means it has no breaks in our head. We just want to keep eating it. It is readily accessible. Um, less nutritious food is cheaper which means that often people from kind of lower socioeconomic groups rely on those foods more heavily. Um, but also, I think that the other kind of equation is that we are in a society that is increasingly disconnected from each other and increasingly disconnected from ourselves. And we are becoming almost less able to to like all of the things that we are wired as humans that make us thrive, like the connection, like the movement, like speaking to friends and family, like, like all of the nutritious food, they're all just becoming kind of less and less and, and less almost if you allow them. Um, we're on social media, so we're not really connecting with people. We are, you know, eating less nutritious food. We are moving less, like, the thing is we don't need to leave the couch to survive anymore. Like we can get everything ordered to us, delivered to us. We don't have to speak to anybody. We don't have to do anything. It can all just come to us. And so whether obesity has some sort of genetic component to it, and it is the kind of epigenetics of that just being um, confronted then with a society that makes it so much easier to find the comforts outside of ourselves and create that habit so much earlier and so much more intensely earlier without having like without the nutrients and all the things like so it's I don't have a strong opinion on that but I, that's kind of what my my thoughts on it are 
because I have heard quite a bit about genetics, maybe. And of course, then there's like the kind of pre-diabetic, diabetic, diabetic um, insulin uh, reaction that the body has, which then makes it harder to say no to foods because our body's literally saying, no, you need to have more. And so then there's the biological component of it once you're already in it. So then it makes it more difficult to get out of it. So just, there's so many components to that. And I think it's just the perfect storm at the minute. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting times ahead, I suppose, for our, our relationship, but the weird thing, everyone sort of treats it as such a bad thing. It's like, but sometimes we, we need almost that event to, to ask the question or to bring it to our foresight to saying, actually, no, this is no longer acceptable or actually, no, this has now become a problem. So as a result, we will adjust. Well, by then we have naturally evolved in the right way. So, you know, people sort of say, oh, it's a terrible thing. It's like, well, actually, no, maybe that's where we have go to to realize that it's not okay so that in itself has been a self-learning process i don't know it's an interesting one to see where we're going and humanity's going yeah and that is an interesting concept because generally i know like as people and i'm sure it's the kind of the same as society i think this is tony robbins that says that we only change when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change right so maybe we're getting to the point where the pain of staying the same is starting to be a bit more painful than learning a new way or changing. So maybe that is, is it's a necessary point of evolution. I mean, I already look, I mean, you know, my, my sort of teenage habits for drinking and, you know, general sort of having fun as it was called at that time. Now it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of kids now it's like going, you know, why would you do that? You know, they're, they're sort of, they're addicted to their sports they have you know they're out and they're doing all these activities and you know drink would just slow me down and i'm like oh <laughs> hold on a minute <laughs> that wasn't my experience either i was like wait what <laughs> i don't know i mean i'm just curious. maybe it's the people i'm around as well but i don't know maybe there's all these other activities that are starting to actually have an effect where people go oh, i'm choosing to do sport i'm choosing to do activities i'm choosing to do other things or maybe i don't know maybe i do have a, a, a sort of warped view on life so I don't know. It's not the same number of nightclubs. It's not the same emphasis on drinking, etc. So um, I don't know. I was just curious. <laughs> so, well, you know, my just the only experience that I can bring to that was I had probably a similar experience to you, where I was just partying. <laughs> but being somebody who was, I came back and forth between Canada and here several times. The first time I moved here was in two thousand and one, and in two thousand and one, we were Sundays were for the pub. We like, I was only 16 and Sundays were for the pub and like, we were going out underage, like again, I was 15, 16, going to clubs and going to things. And it was totally acceptable, totally fine. Well, you know, quote, unquote acceptable. Um, and it was just happening. And like, there were no five K's, there were no 10 K's. There was nobody doing marathons. There was no men in like biking around the place. None of that happened, right? So then I moved down to Dublin and then I went back to Vancouver and I came back in 2010 and I was like, what the hell has happened here? <laughs> There's like 5Ks every week. Last Sundays are now for 5Ks or for 10Ks and like everybody, my uncles were doing triathlons. I was like, what is going on? So yeah, for sure, this has been a shift. Been a shift for sure. Yeah, so the, the Metro Man and all the rest. It's true. It's it's so true. I mean, in some ways it's it's, 
it's, I mean, it's wonderful. It's so good, you know. But uh, yeah, <laughs> everyone's wondering. Was like, where where did the party go? No more Sunday fun days. No. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, sort of how to have a you know boozy Sundays and sort of somehow roll into Monday, you know. But yeah, so. But I like, but I'm like the least boozy person now that exists. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, well, still in Ireland, you know, anyone that doesn't drink or whatever, it's sort of treated slightly with suspicion. But I know myself, it's just now, it just, I, I wouldn't thank you for it. You know, it's not, you know, I've one or two nights out, but now it's, you know, count probably the serious nights out on, on one hand for the whole year, you know, but maybe that's kids for you, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all sleepless, the that's sleepless nights too. That's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where where do you see yourself going, Brianna? I mean, what's what's on the cards for you, think, or what's on the bucket list? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just growing, first of all, growing. I have always been really interested in events. And like, really, I think the message that I have to share, every single woman would benefit from it. And so I'm kind of on a mission to like, if we want to talk about change, I'm on a mission to create that chalismic, is that the word? Big, <laughs> big change. Going from like this diet culture, weight loss group, on again, off again, roller coaster of my weight and focusing on diet and our bodies, like having a whole several generations of women where that is their focus. And moving us so far away from that by telling her just how to resolve that once and for all so that you now have the headspace and the capacity to focus on the things that actually matter, like our relationships, like your aspirations, like what you actually want. Because for one thing, women just generally don't even know what they want. So to make that shift possible, if we're talking about like, is it cataclysmic change? Is that the word I'm looking for? Cataclysmic is when you get a wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe like, we'll wipe out that kind of diet culture mentality so that we can move to a place. Because I really don't think that women will be able to get to the kind of equality, the kind of um, um, status in society that they want to get to, that we want to get to, that we want to realize, if we are still so focused on our weight and our food. Like, we can't do both at the same time this constant obsession with food and our weight occupies way, way, way too much mental energy, mental and emotional energy for us then to also create the, smash the grass, glass ceiling and to create the change and inequality or the equality that we want. So like, I'm like, if I can play a part in that, that's what I, <laughs> just, just that, <laughs> just that little thing. Um, and so, like I am doing like short-term kind of visualizings now. So like 10 years from now, couldn't tell you, but like, that's it. I mean, that's like the general gist of it. Um, but I'm always been interested in events. So I'm going to be working on that as well, creating more events around this kind of work as well. What workshops or, or seminars or whatever. But that's... What's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you? Guilty pleasure. The guilty pleasure was the the TV show. Be <laughs> good. Um, so I've, I've taken. I was gonna say I've taken all the guilt out of food, so there's no guilty pleasures there. But um, 
visit building sunsets or the, the thing on netflix with the 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 state show of selling sunsets reality tv show like i don't watch any reality tv show just because i just don't have time but i started watching that i'm like oh my god this is actually it's like so enticing that i must watch it so there you go whenever i'm like frazzled in my brain i'm like just please put this on for 20 minutes half an hour so i can just zone out great yeah i mean sometimes we do need that too you know that sort of yeah that switch off that whatever you know but uh, yeah so selling selling something most people like i say it, it's wine chocolate chip or crisps um you know it's, <laughs> well, i'm pretty impartial i'm pretty partial to a glass of red and some chocolate for sure what's your favorite chocolate i like lint Mm -hmm. okay. Dark chocolate, dark chocolate, white chocolate. Dark chocolate, yeah. Dark chocolate. I like the sea salt or like the chili dark chocolate. Lint, those are good. Good. Like I'm kind of at like a stage where I like I need to love the food now for me to eat it. <laughs> like it's like this has to be worth it. Like it's got to be worth it. But if, we, if we're gonna go down the food tunnel, what would be your last supper? That was hard. That was really hard because there's lots of really like. Sometimes starter then. What? <laughs> Let's break this down. Start us at the starter. What would we have to start with? So here's the thing. If I were to have a last supper and have like probably what I really want, I would probably have like three bites of every every kind of thing because I'm like, I don't actually like eating a lot of that food. Um like this, like I would probably have some sort of like pasta, maybe like a not for the starter, for the main, like a lobster, like bisque kind of pasta thing, but which is which is so delightful for like three bites. And then it just gets way too heavy and way too rich. So I'm kind of like, I'd be wasting most of my last supper. Awesome. I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be enjoying the parts that I have. Um, and then the dessert would be something deliciously chocolate. Like, oh, like just like, a, I'm not like a brownie. That's like too meh. But like a chocolatey mousse ice cream hot sauce of chocolate it would be like chocolate galore but again only like three or four bites of that um and then a starter i don't know i'm not really a big starter fan something maybe i don't know i'd have to think about that one calamari maybe funny it's and it's funny how your relationships change it's not about feeling full or you know whatever it's, it's about the taster yeah no it's the enjoyment of the food that you have and then like just not overeating it because the enjoyment decreases significantly as you overeat so don't do that <laughs> oh big change so tell us i mean what for you if you had to describe your fire in your belly in one or two words Joanna, what what would those words be well um funny i just had two thoughts there that the fire in my belly has always for me been self-actualization like, like I, I was so aware that my kind of limiting beliefs and trauma with a small T had been holding me back. Like even when I was young, I was aware of that. And I just so did not want that to be my reality forever. So it took me like a while. And of course, like I'm not done. I'm still working on it. There's layers forever. But um, 
that has always been the driving factor for me. The, the thing that I'm relentlessly pursuing because I, it feels to me for my experience that if you, if I'm not doing that for myself, then everything else kind of feels shallow or hollow. Like if I'm pursuing things for reasons outside of me, like, like they never make you feel what you want to feel. So if I can create that self-actualization for myself and then pursue things as a result of that, then that's so much more satisfying and fulfilling. And the other thought that I had was like, well, that's very self-involved. <laughs> but then I was thinking that the more that I'm able to do that for myself, the more that I'm able to help other people do that. Cause like somebody has to go first. I'm like, of course, somebody has gone first before me, but in terms of the women that I'm going to be helping, I'm happy to do that effort, to make that effort of going first so that I could then bring you with me, bring those women with me. And of course I am at the coattails of many women above me. So that's it really just continuing to get to know myself and functioning more of myself, like as more of myself from a, the, the most authentic place that I can come from. I can't remember who said it was someone incredibly wise, you know, talked about that. It's, it's, if we all, we all essentially became self, you know, self-actualized, as you say, or self, self-aware, self-understanding, then the world would be a hell of a lot better place. Mm. You know, we're trying to fix other people. It's like, fix yourself and then come yep. have a talk. Yeah. <laughs> It would be a whole different conversation, you know, as opposed to, well, I'm right. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because one of the things with um, the women that I work with is that they always find that their relationships improve, usually with their husband and they're with their kids. And I was asking my client today, she's like, yeah, I can't really understand why. I was like, have you stopped nitpicking? <laughs> like, have you stopped finding fault and trying to fix them? She's like, oh, maybe I have. I was like, yeah, whenever you don't feel that you need to be fixed or like whenever you're taking responsibility for how you're thinking and feeling, you don't then need that person to do anything for you. That person could be them. And then you get to show up and he gets to show up and everybody gets to be happier. Wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's so true. It's so true. And and that's the thing is well, I suppose sometimes you maybe have to be prepared for what may change in your life when you change your own standards, you know, or things or the change you know love for yourself right because they will have been masked by food they'll be masked by people pleasing by addictions you know whatever you know, cigarettes alcohol sex any of the above uh it doesn't have to be you know sinister or anything else it can be food you know or any any sort of activity so um yeah no it's, it's very very interesting yeah and sorry i was just gonna say like the the every time that i worked on this for myself and became more and more layers of self-actualized I like always had to let my life go <laughs> like like I you know had lots of work to do <laughs> so like literally the life that I had at that time I had to let it go all the people all the behaviors all of my all of the act almost all of the not all but the activities that I was engaging with all had to go because I couldn't do that and continue to grow at the same time and so then like that can be very painful like very very painful to have to say goodbye to those people or have to like you know just be like that's no longer me and that can be sad and painful but 
once you get through that, it's like, whew, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, there's so much. It's that, uh, it's that journey. There is that journey. You change your, probably you change that relationship and you will literally change your life. You can't help it. Part of, you know, it's almost like buyer beware too. You know, it's like everything will change, you know, which is a good thing, you know, but, um, that's fascinating. Tell us, where can people learn more about you, Brianna? Where can they follow you, track you down, hunt you down, stalk you, any of the above? Yeah, the best place to get me on is my Instagram page, which is Brianna.McAteer.coaching. And that's B-R-I-A-N-A. Um, and that's just the best place to get me. You'll find me. You'll be able to connect with me there. You'll be able to book consultations from there. You'll get all of my ideas there. <laughs> probably get sick of listening to me there <laughs> and is there a final message you'd like to leave our listeners today yeah i suppose if any of the stuff that i'm res that i'm saying has resonated for any um buddy listening that like that change is possible i know whenever she is stuck in it that it feels like it's not possible for me because i am somehow uniquely broken and damaged and i wholeheartedly believe that that is not the case and that it is possible for you to prove the impossible possible to you to yourself and so take the risk of getting the help take the risk of trying take the risk of reaching out to me or to whoever else or whatever modality that may be take, take the risk of trying beautiful beautiful Brianna, it's been very insightful. Thank you. Um, I've actually come away not hungry, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> good. Thank you again for that. I appreciate you and uh, look forward to seeing what you call. Thanks so much, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon, and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons, and successes. So, all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you.